0: A very important day. It's an anniversary of something really special. I'm not going to mention any birthdays, I'll get in trouble. But 110 years ago, the patent for the ice cream cone itself was filed 110 years ago today. So I'm so grateful for the 22nd of September. And I'm going to let that go before I get any deeper into a hole. So today I picked verse 6 out of Proverbs. Um, I like to start with a proverb. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Listen, that is a promise to you parents. And when or if the day comes that your child, um, from your viewpoint, is wandering a bit, if you've done this, you have a promise you can grip, bear hug to, and know that the Lord will deliver on. I've seen it faithfully. It never fails. So, train up a child in the way you should go. Today's the second week in a series called "Bless This Home." We've been looking at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is just a fancy. Um, um, it's a Latin. It comes from the Latin word, which means blessedness. And uh, Jesus gave um, several of these illustrations There were eight different characteristics that he explained And said, blessed are people, if this, that, and the other thing And uh, so we're going to look at four of them Last week we talked about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness Um, Next week we're going to talk about blessed are the peacemakers And the the following week we're going to see that blessed are people who are persecuted Just because they name the name of Jesus and follow him and our approach is to take those specific teachings of Jesus, and where he says, "You're blessed, if thus and so, to take that and actually apply it to our families." hence the name of the series, "Bless this home." I'm curious, um, how many of you have ever had somebody try to break into your home? Just curious. Yeah, man, that's a lot. Do you see all those hands? I mean, that's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I've shared before about the time early in our marriage when somebody tried to break into our home and we were in bed and it spooked me and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I pretty much devoted the entire rest of my life preparing myself to handle the next time somebody tries to break into my house. And by this point now, I'm somewhere between Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee in my own mind. Now, Chuck Norris is 73 and Bruce Lee is dead, so that can tell you my level of readiness all kidding aside, <laughs> I mean, I've rehearsed in my mind what I would do. If in the middle of the night somebody came into my house, what I would do because my wife is in that house or my wife and my kids, I've rehearsed in my mind. I think most guys have. I mean, think about it, guys. guys. You've thought through how many steps to the crowbar or something, right? You have. You've thought it through what you would do because it's, it's in us to protect. And I think what women too. I think any woman in here would freely admit, I would take down a grizzly bear if it got towards my children. Oh, I can see the women going, absolutely. They're, what's the question about that? Grizzly bear, boom, going down. There's <laughs> just something in us that wants to protect our family. And it's just to protect our home. And what's interesting, there are a couple of interesting things about protection in our culture today. You know, you're applauded if you protect your kids physically. So we strap helmets on them and elbow pads, and they go out to get the mail for us. And you know, because we got to protect our kids, right? Nothing wrong with protecting our kids. I think bike helmets are a good thing. You don't have to wear them to bed, but you know, it's it's a good thing. But also, the same culture—if you try to protect your kids morally, you're considered a controlling parent. You're an overbearing parent. You're overprotective. We're applauded for protecting them physically but we're made fun of if we want to protect them morally. Well, we're going to read in the word today and see that God calls us to protect our children and our and those around us not just physically, but more importantly to protect the purity of their souls. And you know, just 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 like somebody tried to break into my house and many of your houses physically, we have a real living breathing, well, I don't know about breathing enemy who wants to break into your life and he wants to kill and he wants to steal. And he wants to destroy your innocence and take away your trust. And Jesus was very, very specific about this in Matthew 5.8. This is our quick text. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What a great promise. What a great promise. This is not like attending the circus at a novelty, but there's something way deeper about seeing God, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Blessed are the pure in heart. And this word heart is the Greek word cardia. It's where we get our word "cardio," and it means a heart. You know, Jesus is not saying here, is, you know, this is a metaphor. He's not saying blessed are those whose organ which pumps blood is really perfect. No, he's not saying that. He's, he's talking about our emotions and our feelings and our attitudes towards other people. And I want to really be clear that today I'm going to take a very narrow slice of what he's, Jesus is talking about something very, very pro, very broad. But I'm just going to only take, deal with a very, very thin part of that and uh, talk about it today. So he was talking about attitudes and motives. But uh, today, I'm going to get way, way more narrow. And um, you'll see where I'm going with that. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, for, 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 for our narrow approach, I want to talk about moral purity today and apply it to our homes. And I think it's very, very common... Um, in our culture for us to believe about ourselves and maybe about the people around us that they've got a good heart. Oh, she's got a good heart or he's got a good heart. You know, how many times have you seen a young single girl go, oh yeah, he's, he's not a Christian but he's got a good heart and no, he's unemployed, he lives in a van down by the river and he, you know, smokes weed for dinner but he's got a good heart. You know, you <laughs> know, I don't know what kind of weeds grow down there, but whatever. <laughs> and the reality is that, is that even though that's a very, very common saying, it's just not true. It's just not true. Let me show you what Scripture says, because I think here's a thought that we've got to understand as we get into Scripture. Without Christ, there is no such thing as a pure heart. Without Christ doing surgery on this, there is no such thing as a pure heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says it very, very directly. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Wow! We don't want to think that's true, but it's true. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Deceitful above all things and beyond cure. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. In fact, Ephesians 4, um, verses 18 and 19 um, you see something else going on here. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's said something I think it's kind of profound. He's talking to the believers in, um, in Ephesus and he's talking about Gentiles who had drifted from their faith. They were not living as if they believed the Lord and he says, okay, starting in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them Due to the hardening of their hearts They don't even realize it Because their hearts have grown hard To the things that matter the most They've darkened in their understanding Have you ever walked into a movie theater And, you know, the movie's already started And you intentionally came in late So you'd have to miss the first 20 minutes Of Ford commercials and insurance commercials Just waiting for your movie, Right? No, you guys go and you watch all the commercials, don't you? So, so you come in late and you got your popcorn and your soda, and you realize first off, I can't see where I am, and how do I find my place? And I don't want to stand in front of these people, and be careful not to stop my spill my popcorn and my soda. And so you you get in there, but have you noticed that after you've been in there for a few minutes, your eyes start to adjust and you can see a lot better? Why is that? I mean, it's because our eyes adjust to the darkness. Could it be in any of our homes that, you know, where, where our families that we love live, could it be that we've a little bit become separated from the life of God because we've been darkened in our understanding because of our ignorance because maybe our hearts have gotten a little bit calloused and we never recognize it. We don't know that we're missing out. We're not seeing the goodness of God because we've allowed some little bit of impurity to creep in somewhere. We just don't even know it. He goes on to say in verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And I can't think of very many verses in this entire book that describe our culture any better than that. I mean, having lost all sensitivity, our culture is giving itself over to all sorts of sensuality and indulging in every kind of impurity. And we love our families. We want to protect them. We want to protect our marriages. We want to protect the next generation. So we would never say to our little baby child, hey, here's a bottle of poison. Go ahead and drink. We would never let a child knowingly you know, do something that would harm them physically. We would, we would never tell our teenage kids, hey, there's a pool full of gasoline, go out for a swim, you know, have a gasoline fight, we would just not do that. (laughs) It sounds absurd, right? What's the stupid example? But at the same time that we won't do that, we will say to our 15-year-old daughter, she can go ahead and go on a car date with a knuckle-dragging, hairy-legged creature, (laughs) hormone-crazed creature that we don't even know. I've seen it. I've watched it happen. It happens all the time. You know, Somebody we haven't even met. Or, or we'll give our 14-year-old boy unlimited access to a mobile device upon which he can get into and see anything and everything you never want him to put in his eyes. And we call that completely normal. The iPhone 5S is out. Let's get in the line, you know. And we spend our hard-earned money to be entertained sometimes by things that just break the heart of God. They just break the heart of God, and that's considered absolutely and completely normal in our culture. Could it be? Is it possible that we have missed out on some of the blessings for our family because our hearts have just become a little bit callous and a little bit hard, and we've been darkened in our understanding without even knowing it? We've lost sensitivity indulging in every kind of evil if you mas- missed last week um, there was a key thought that I want to just remind us of because it's key to all four of the weeks and, and and it's shifting our mind away from a very common terminology and and so it, we're saying that we are not just a Christian family but we are a Christ-centered home and you might think well what's the difference you know, sadly in our culture, over 80% of Americans say that they're Christians. They say that their family is a Christian family. But if you look at our country, you don't see that kind of predominant moral. I mean, you just don't see it. It's easy to say you're a Christian family. It's not quite the same thing as saying, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm. we're a Christian family. We believe in Jesus. We go to cr- church on Christmas and and we, we believe that kind of stuff. Um, but he's not... But that's a completely different thing than saying Jesus is first. He's not part of my life. He is the center of my life. And if we want the blessings of God, we've got to learn to live according to his word. According to his word. And that's exactly what the psalmist in 119 uh, verses 9 and 10 says. And this is something that I think that every loving parent, every loving parent asks, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Purity. It's a great question. How do I raise my children and keep them on the path of purity? Every parent wants to know the answer to that question. Because if you love your children, you want that for them. You want that for them. And here's what culture would tell you. I mean, it's what, kind of what culture tells us about everything. Hey, just follow your heart. Follow your heart. Be true to your heart. You've got a good heart. Follow your heart. Now, please hear me. That is the worst advice you could give your kids. It really is. Don't follow your heart because your heart is deceitful. I mean, I've seen married couples and I've counseled them and I've watched them follow their heart right out of their marriage and into an adultery. Why? Well, because he's hot or because she smells good or whatever their heart was telling them. I mean, don't follow your heart. How can a young person keep their way pure by living according, this is what the psalmist tells us by living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your c- commands. You know, and as a parent, I've asked myself that question. You know, how can our family stay on a path of purity? And, you know, I don't think in that kind of a long sentence. I, you know, just like you, it's way simpler. But I, I, I think, okay, what's, what's the way to, to keep pure before you, Lord? How do we do this? How does a fish or household? And um, the answer isn't by following our hearts; it's just not. But instead, it's by living according to the Lord's word. That's good. We'll seek you with all of our hearts, Lord. Don't don't let us stray from your commands. Now, for those of you who you're not married right now, you're single, or you don't have a family, and you might be kicking back, thinking, "Hey, yeah, lay it on here," you know, lay it on for these other people, Pastor Terry, because. You know, I'm not in the family right now, so I don't really need to do this kind of stuff. I can do whatever I want, and then later I can straighten things up because, you know, then it'll really matter. I mean, so right now I can sleep with who I want, drink what I want, smoke what I want, eat what I want, watch what I want, do what I want. Yeah, you can. And you're thinking, I can do this, get it right later when it matters. The thing is, what you do today does matter. It really does. Because, and I've said this before, you don't build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. You just can't. If you want a harvest of righteousness later in your life, you plant seeds of righteousness today. I would say to my kids, um, to my sons, do you want to find a pure woman to be your wife someday? Yes. Then be the, kind of, be the kind of man that the Lord would say, you're worthy of me entrusting that kind of a gem to you. Live, live according to what you want to, to live with. Live according to, to the Lord's word. So, so let's do this. Let's, let's just acknowledge that it's possible. It's just possible that in our homes, that our eyes have sometimes gone just a little bit too accustomed to the darkness. It's just possible. I'm not standing up here pounding on you or, or accusing. I'm just saying it's possible that our hearts have become hardened in some areas and maybe it's because we've allowed some impurity to creep into our lives. So if that's true, how can we reverse that flow? How do we move from being a Christian home to a Christ-centered home? Truly raising a generation that puts Christ first and honors him in every single way. So, okay, so I'm going to give you some practical ways, three ways of creating a a culture of purity in our home. The first step is, first off, I'm going to point out, this is not going to happen by accident. So we're going to be proactive and get intentional. First thing is, get your own heart right. First thing is, let's start there. Because whether you're 18 or whether you're 88 you set the tone for the relationships in your life. You set the tone. You do. You set the tone for the lives. And and you choose to lead towards purity. Solomon said this in Proverbs 4.23. He said, above all else, in other words, this is the best advice I'm going to have. Right? Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. So when we're thinking about how do we behave and, you know, What do we allow into our families? What do I want to be influenced by? What do I want to read? What do I want to watch? What do I want to have for entertainment? What kind of friends do I want to allow to speak into my life? What am I going to allow to feed my mind? What are kind of thoughts, you know, how do we decide what's right and what's wrong? And a lot of people would say, let your conscience be your guide. I was shocked. Um, A week and a half ago, a news article flashed across uh, the world's news stage for one day, and then it disappeared. But you can find it if you want to look for it. And uh, there was a newspaper that was owned by um, a man who's either agnostic, doesn't know about whether God exists, or he's an atheist outright. And he had been running a series of commentaries about this. And the leader of a huge worldwide um, faith probably the largest group of people, wrote an open letter to this editor to address his agnostic, atheistic concerns. And here's the translation. This was written in a different language, okay? Um, But it was translated in English. God will forgive. He's, He's talking about atheists and agnostics. God will forgive them as long as they behave morally and live according to their consciences. And I was shocked that this head of a Christian faith seems to have left Jesus out of this, seems to have left the word of God completely out of it and said, follow your heart as if that would be God's measure. And you and your children are going to hear that message from our culture. Follow your heart. That's, that's the definition, your heart, not the word of God. And that will just just not get you there. The problem is that our conscious that the word of God teaches that our conscience can actually become Seared. Seared. And, and having a seared conscience is a very dangerous thing. I think of having a seared conscience, it's kind of like you know God gave us a built-in firewall. You have a firewall probably if you have a computer and you use the internet. It keeps unwanted viruses from coming in and infecting your, vi- your, your computer and messing things up. It's like a firewall. And God gives us this built-in firewall, our conscience, and, and it protects us from moral and spiritual and relational viruses that could come in and mess us up. And when we get to the point where that firewall comes down and our heart, our own heart, no longer accuses us. Not good for me to start accusing you because there is therefore now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. But the Lord put something in my own heart, say, hey, Terry, straighten up. That is not righteous. When my own heart stops accusing me, I'm in jeopardy. I'm in jeopardy, it's a dangerous country, because that firewall is no longer protecting me, and scripture, you can make it, you can see this, and I'm not going to go down this trail, because this could be, take us all the rest of the day, but scripture teaches that then we become deceived, and then we start to justify our sin, and then bad stuff happens, it just is a natural outfall death happens and things happen so because our consciences can be become seared we can't trust our, our, our consciences for everything like the world would tell us because we can deceive ourselves I'm going to give you a personal example um, when uh, I was newlywed and um, had friends and we would go hunting together the guys and you know it's a, it's a guy thing to go out hunting and we have a lot of fun we'd head up into the woods and you don't have to take a bath it's great <laughs> And we'd sit around the campfire, and, you know, you, you really have no responsibilities. It's 100% total play and blowing th- stuff up with guns, okay? I mean, you, you, shoot, you, knock, you shoot down trees with your gun. You do whatever. You, I mean, you do, you know, s- stuff like that when you, you're out there. And you have a, a hunting party. I had a hunting party a bunch of guys that, were, you know, that I was with regularly, and some of them weren't Christians. And you sit around the campfire, and pretty soon you would start hearing this coarse talk and jokes. They were pretty funny, but they were coarse, But they were funny. And somehow those came home with me. You can probably figure out where this went. And the lovely, sensitive, um, holy spirit in my life that sleeps in the bed with me, my wife, just in case I clarify that, objected. That's coarse. I don't like that. Don't do that oh, come on, it's not that big a deal. And I would justify and rationalize, everybody does it. It doesn't mean anything, right? You know what I'm talking about? I would do those things, and um, I'd start to rationalize it. You know, I don't know if your mother ever said this to you, and I'm not quite certain if my mother ever said this to me, but just because everybody else does it doesn't make it right, right? If they all jumped off a cliff, would you jump off it? Did you ever say that to me, Mom? Probably did, yeah. (laughs) Our culture says it, and, and, and we hear this all the time, but it's funny, but it doesn't mean that much. It's a little bit crude, but it's, it's not just funny. It's, it's, it's hilarious. It's downright you know, gut-splitting, and it's pretty funny. So I want to ask you this rhetorical question. You don't have to answer. If I stood up here, and I, I've, I've asked you this before in a, in a message. If I told you a sexist joke or a racist joke, but it was really, really funny, would that be okay with you? No, I'm not going to do it, so you can relax, right? <laughs> Put down your knives and your, whatever you're going to throw at me. Funny doesn't make wrong right. God, help me to get my own heart right. And I guarantee you that, just like in me, all of us have been deceived in one way or another at some time. I mean, if there's a conversation that I'm involved in, Lord, and it's impure, convict me. If I'm thinking things, Lord, and they're impure, just convict me. If I'm allowing things in my home, Lord, that break your heart, convict me. If I've got relationships or even friendships and those are dragging me away from you, convict me, Lord entertained by things that are wrong to you, Lord. Talk to my heart, Lord. Okay, so the first thing we do is we we address our own heart. Second thing we want to do, and this one's really important, we parent to the heart. When you're working with your kids, you parent to the heart. Most of us parent to the actions. There's a big difference. In other words, we want to get the correct behavior from our kids. And sometimes we forget to focus on the heart. Um, Samuel at one point was this, he had the responsibilities to anoint kings and um, so he, at one point he's, he's, he's talking and he looks, looks at David in 1 Samuel 16, in this uh, verse seven, he says, the Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. But the Lord looks at the heart, the heart. God looks at the heart. In fact, Jesus was kind of fanatical about the heart, you know, and the Old Testament scripture says, don't murder. And uh, so then Jesus talks to the heart. He says, no, yeah, he says, that's true. But I I say to you, don't even hate. Because if you hate, you've already committed murder in your heart. He went into the heart before the actions. Old Testament says, don't commit adultery. Jesus is going to, of course, talk to the heart. He says, you know, if you look lustfully at a woman, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. He hammered the Pharisees, which we kind of enjoy watching that, you know, because these guys were polished. They knew how to do everything on the outside and make it look nice and right. And um, he said, you know, on the outside, your cup and your dish is clean, but on the inside where the heart is, it's full of filth. You know, he's, the inside is the most important. So when we're talking with kids or talking about kids, we don't want to settle for outward submission, but inward rebellion, you know? One kid does something to the other one and they shouldn't have and now the other one's crying and as a parent you say stop that and you fix that and you say now you get over there and you apologize. The older son, you know, so his name is Buzz. Buzz walks over there, stomps, stomps. Okay, I apologize. I'm sorry, you little trout sniffer. And didn't mean it, right? Christmas movies are coming. Just That's a hint. If those of you are wondering what movie that came from. And they did what you asked, but not what you wanted, right? They didn't really deliver on what you were trying to do. So we don't stop loving them towards a right heart. We got to go after more than just their actions, though. We got to go after their heart. You know, you tell your daughter, I'm sorry, you're not going to go to that party. Fine, slam, I hate you. You probably, you maybe, maybe you've heard that. And our kids start experimenting as they get into teenage years about how to get their way. And on the menu of weapons is bullying, intimidation, untruths, you know, because you all did it, right? (laughs) Remember on the menu? Our kids' hearts need to be shaped. And so we try to work on the why behind the what. So... We, can, we continue, as we're with, with our kids, continue to talk to them and pray and, and help to understand as we work towards their heart because right actions come out of a right heart. You want them to do the right thing, you want them to do it because their heart is right. How much better is it to say, you know, this is bullying and manipulative and it doesn't make you right and you've hurt your little brother. Is this what you want to be known for? And then you step back and let them choose to go and apologize. I'm sorry. And now it's legitimate. And now their heart has been shaped. I, <laughs> I watched that one time with a little bit of... Um, I've, I think I might have told you this story. And I'm sorry to tell you a story again if I've heard, told this one. But there was a time when um, our oldest son, Ben, was... Uh, I, I remember what he wanted. He wanted something. And uh, Lisa said to him, no. And she was firm. It's no. No is no. And... He got all angry, and he said to her that she was abusing him. <laughs> now, I've, um, I have, um, I've been in ministry a long time, and it's heartbreaking and aggravating and anger-building for me when I watch true abuse. It's, it's hard. I've also seen the other end of the spectrum, where innocent people have been accused of abuse, because it was a great legal tool to use in a nasty divorce. It, 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 I've watched people's hearts and lungs be pulled out. Not literally, but you know. Um, and so when my son, if he, it, you can say something like that to somebody and it'll get under my skin. But you say that about my wife, all of a sudden, the God gets signed priorities in Terry's life. Jesus, his wife, the kids, and everybody else. I step into my place because he is now assaulted the most important person that walks this earth with me. Love my son. Sorry, but he's dropped down the list, and now he's now he's taken on angry angry dad. <laughs> because he said something that was untrue, was hurtful, it was bullying, it was manipulative, and I was angry, and he could see it, and there was a level of intensity, and I have this ability to get intense, and that is this pretty pretty intense, and uh, but somehow the Lord was was speaking to me in those moments and he reminded me of his scripture in Matthew 15 where he basically says, you know, it's not what you eat that defiles you because it passes through, I'm paraphrasing, but it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you because it's come from the heart. And in my correcting of Ben, I said, you said these things about your mother and he said, I didn't mean it. And that's when I looked at him and I said, yes, you did. It came out of your mouth. Scripture says that started in your heart. There's something in your heart that was willing to manipulate, to hurt. There's something in there that's not right. And God wants to fix that. And your father (laughs) is not going to let you talk to your mother that way. (laughs) And I watched his heartbreak and him do the right thing. I don't even remember what he wanted, but I'll probably never forget me challenging his heart. And um, it was really just close that we didn't, I didn't pull his head off or do something because I wanted to. You remember those it? Oh, yeah. It was a little hot in the house that day. A heartbroken mom. Have you ever noticed You know, many kids when they turn 18 and they leave home, they kind of go nuts? They kind of go crazy for a while? and it's, it's because all this time they've been conforming outwardly. But their heart wasn't there. And now they just want to do their own thing. They just want to do their own thing. So we parent to the heart. We're working towards purity of the heart. Now, if I haven't offended you already with my challenges and I haven't made you uncomfortable, then this one might finally finish the job for us. So we're going to start to get your heart right. We're going to start parenting to the heart. The third thing, and this might be the most important for how it affects our homes, we're going to pursue perfect purity of the heart. Now, before you get too uh, balled up over that, I chose the word pursue because I don't think we can achieve this on our own. I just really don't. But with the help and with the power of God, there is something for us to get closer to it all the time. Why perfect purity? Why perfect? You know, you could say, isn't that raising the standard just a little bit high, Terry? Well, because anything less than perfect purity isn't purity. So we're going to pursue pursue perfect purity. Ephesians five three. Paul is talking. He says, "But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people." He says, "Do you catch this? There must not even be a hint." You know. So pop quiz. You know. You know is is committing adultery with four people a hint of of course it's a hint of sexual immorality it's more than a hint is sleeping with 75% of the people that you date a hint of yes yes it's more than a hint if some hot girl walks past you at the gym and you start breaking into praise Lord thank you for the wonderful job you did on her is that a hint I have no idea what that whole illustration means not even a hint or any kind of impurity, this is Paul talking, no greed or whatever, because these are improper for God's holy people. So the question is, how much impurity do you want to let in? I mean, this gross story of um, this 12-year-old boy who wanted to see go to the theater, and it was a movie that had stuff in it that his mother felt was inappropriate, and it was inappropriate, and his response was, well, there's not that much of it in there. Have you heard this story before? And the mama decided to bake the brownies Ooh, that's gross. If you haven't heard the story, um, mom baked him some brownies. She said, Yeah, you can go, but first, I'm going to make you some brownies. Oh, boy, I thought, man, I scored to get the movie and the brownies. Then, as she served me, by the way, I just want you to know I put a, just a couple of tablespoons of dog poo in here beforehand, and, but there's not that much of it in there. <laughs> okay, let's move on. On a, on a sermon about purity, and I just now said dog poo in church. Can you believe that? Now I've done it twice. This is the week where I pick on dogs. Where is the, the cat crowd? Just want you to want your, acknowledge that I took it easy on the cats today. Good point. And when you find purity in, in building up in your heart by the power of God, your heart will start to change. You'll stop desiring the things that you had been desiring and you'll start desiring the things that matter more. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Imagine seeing God answer your prayers, using you in the lives of others, making a difference through you. You, Imagine seeing God use you by way of spiritual gifts, something prophetic and promising to someone, encouraging faith to lay hands on somebody and they get well. Imagine seeing his power at work in your life. Imagine all goodness following you all the days of your life. Imagine all things working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes in your life. When you're pure in heart, you can see the power of God in ways that you just have never, ever imagined before. And some of us might think, you know, but Terry, I'm, I've messed up so bad. And I've done things that are wrong and I'm just a long ways off. I want you good. I want you to know, not good, but I mean I have an answer for that. I mean scripture does. God has already addressed that and he solved that problem. You see it in Ezekiel 36, 26. And he doesn't just ask you to make your heart better on your own. He says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will remove your heart of stone, he says. And now, I think for some of us, it's possible that some of our hearts have just gotten a little harder in some sections than we would want it to. Listen, if you're, if you're um, offended because you feel like I'm legalistic or if, if, if you're pushing back today, could it be that your heart has just grown a little bit hard? Because God says, I'll give you a new one. I'll remove that stone in there and I'll give you a heart of flesh. Because there is a standard of righteousness that you and I can never achieve on our own. And it takes the power and the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. When we seek him, we'll stop being a Christian family and start becoming a Christ-centered home. And suddenly the power of the Lord will give us a new heart and we'll be different. Blessed are the pure in heart. Let's pray. God.